this opportunity, and we bless you, and we praise you for it. In Jesus' name, amen, and praise God. Amen, amen, amen. Praise the Lord. So uh, the Lord told me to tell you that your message is not of this world. Amen. Our message is not of this world. It's not of this world. In Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 1, it says, let me see. And uh, he went out from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where does this man get these things? Or where did he get this message from? And what wisdom is this which is given to him that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is this not the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, and are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And he could do there no mighty work, save that he laid his hand on a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. So Jesus here had a message that was not of this world. People had never heard it before. That's when we preach the gospel, it's news. It's always called good news. Why? Because people haven't heard it before. Now, they may have listened to sermons. They may have heard other preachers. They may even watch preachers on television. But when it comes to you under the anointing and an invitation to salvation, it is news. So don't take for granted anytime God tells you to speak on his behalf to somebody. Don't assume, well, this isn't new to them. It can be new. You got me? Because God's anointing makes it new and it makes it powerful, allows it to be delivered in a certain way that it will bring fruit. Many of you have loved ones who need to make a commitment to Christ, but they don't. Or they've made a verbal with no follow-up. You got me? So we got a lot of them desperados, and we know that something isn't right. They're, they're, they are languishing to hear the news. You got me? There, they, there is something that has not quite been put together yet in their hearing. And so they need to hear it. That's why we ask God to send laborers across their path. If we can't be the ones to get it across to them, then we turn it back over to God. Our salvation does belong to the Lord. And we continue to believe God for them. But many times people hear the good news and make a, a I call it a verbal confession of Christ. But their souls have never been converted. The Bible says they have to hear with their ears, see with their eyes, understand with their hearts and be converted. So it's a process. Sometimes it happens boom, boom, boom all at once. People get on fire for God and run the duration of their life, like Billy Graham. Or they can be people that will hear the word, receive it with gladness, like the parable about the seed and the sower says. 
and then it doesn't take root in them and it withers away. It, you know, just, just the, the duration of time causes them to fall away from that strong stand on the Lord. Then there are people that'll go along with it for a season and then when something happens, let's see, we know lots of them people. Well, they were never converted. That's why our prayer for backsliders includes that God would uh, bring them back and they would lock in. They would get planted. They would get rooted and grounded in the word and get converted and be able to live the Christian life the way it will benefit them in a way God has ordained for them. So <clears throat> there are many different ways of, of the gospel getting to people, but the primary way is through the foolishness of preaching. So the message that we have is delivered in a foolish manner. You'll see that in 1 Corinthians verse 1. I'm sorry, chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse, I think it's verse 18. Come on over here. Seventeen says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Now, to be honest with you, we have, I wouldn't, I don't know which percentage, but a humongous number of people, even on Christian television, who preach this way. They preach with great swelling, wise words. But they're not preaching the cross of Christ. Amen. They're preaching offshoot messages, blessing messages. Uh, Jesus was not a motivational speaker. Amen. He moved you to repentance when he preached. You got me? And so if, if there's, you know, you'll see people come in these places and sit, hear the word, go out, sit, hear the word, go out, sit, hear the word, go out. And there's there's never any petition to the hearts of men to convert and change. And then once we get people, oftentimes in buildings, we just kind of preach a, a, a soft motivational message. You know, hang in there. God's going to bless you. And, you know, tell little stories about how, you know, God will come through for you, so forth and so on. Well, that's not the cross. Got me? That is not the cross. They have a bloodless gospel, a bloodless conversion. He says, if I did it with wisdom and wise words, the cross of Christ is made of none effect. So we get what we call a watered down gospel or a watered down preaching, but it, it nullifies what Jesus did at Calvary to save the souls of men. Like every week when people come in, they've been up to something. You understand what I'm saying? So it's a, it's a good bet to have an altar call. You know, people feel distant from Christ before they fall away and keep, quit coming, period. Have an altar call for people. Like, you know, in the old Baptist church where they had a mourner's bench. Yep, so if you tied one on Saturday night, you sat right there Sunday morning. Some people sat there over and over and over again for years until they finally straightened up and they could take a regular seat. But until then, you fought to hold on 
to your salvation and your standing with God. You got me? That That's what it's for. I mean, if you're not fighting the devil Monday through through uh, Saturday, I don't know what's going on in your life. But it's tough out here to live for God sometimes. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to, we cannot nullify the effect of, of the cross. I don't care what you do in your preaching or teaching or believing and, oh yeah, we want the blessings of the covenant, which you gotta go to cross first before you can get anything. Amen? And it's, it's not a one-time trip. You know what I'm saying? You go back there, you, you, you cut up and messed up again. Verse 18 says, for the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. So people who are not in the life of Christ think you're crazy when you give that message. You know, you'll see people that, well, you need Jesus. Oh, yeah, I knew you'd say that and just fluff you off. Well, it's because it's foolishness to them. But unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. Amen. Why? Because it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and I will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Amen? So that's what Jesus did, or what God planned in the preaching of the cross. It's foolishness to people who are perishing. They don't see how all these people will want to come out and hear that stuff. You got me? want to hear, sit, and listen to you, and how can you get all that attention for just saying that crazy stuff, you know? I remember I, I used to <laughs> used to try and call myself judging people or <laughs> ministering, and I was at a, um, a street revival. There was a, a, a minister in Cleveland, Bill Sawyer. Remember him, Snola? And he would uh, have a, he would block off the streets in his neighborhood and have a, a whole streets set apart and they would set up a tent and he would invite different ministers in and i remember this older gentleman he he wasn't fiery and he wasn't um you know what i thought an evangelist should sound like you know because you think they need to just go at it and let people have it and all this kind of stuff and he was just nice little Sweet older gentleman, he would sit there and preach and give a testimony and tell what Jesus has done in his life. And, and there was a bar in the middle of the street, even though it was blocked off. I mean, the businesses were still open. And out from that bar comes this little old man, and he walks right up to the altar and gives his life to Christ. And I'm thinking, I know. I'm going, God, come on. The foolishness of preaching. Amen. See, we may we may not think, and then I had to repent. I said, "Well, what's wrong with me? Maybe I need to go up there." You know what I'm saying? But but it's it's something that God sends this message for people, a people at a time to pierce their hearts and bring them to Him, and the people that it's for will receive it. It doesn't have to be a certain way. It doesn't have to be all fancy schmancy. It doesn't have to be anything, but it must be anointed by God and it will reach people. It will reach the intended hearer. And so this message is delivered because it's not of this world. It's delivered in a manner that is foolishness according to the standards of the world. People don't understand how that many people can get together. 
to hear that message. They don't understand it. They don't understand what draws people to hear the gospel. They don't understand what keeps people's attention when you start sharing them with things that really should turn them off. When you start talking about righteousness and goodness to somebody who's not living right, that should be a sign for them to get up and run, and some of them do. But then some will stay there and hear because there is an open door for that message. So this is an upside-down way. Like most in most uh, uh, situations where you want people to be drawn to your message, you have to give them something. You know, uh, like the motivational speaker, they promise you that you will, you know, um, uh, you can they do all kinds of things, you know, get wealthy and in six months, if you follow my method or uh, get your life back right, if you follow my method or any of that kind of stuff. And, and we find very often that people change very little. As a result of motivational speaking. Amen. Why? Because there's no power to move you to do anything. I mean, it's, and I don't think it's that people aren't motivated. They just don't have the, the, the power in the direction to go the right way. And so much of this, they sell a bunch of tapes. They promise you a lot of great things. And then little by little, they start getting off the message and getting over into witchcraft and things of that nature. Because it's to escalate people uh, to a, a different level of performance. Uh, like uh, the the people now that walk through fire, they started out just selling their tapes and giving their motivational message, and then the devil plants an idea. Well, you got to go to the next level with these people. Now you just can't stay on that level. We got to give them something more. And so, but but take that and compare it to you just sharing your testimony with somebody. I shouldn't say just, but you sharing your testimony of what God did for you. And most of us are not eloquent when we do it. We're half nervous, half scared, half intimidated, half self-conscious, but we spit it out there anyway. Amen. The best way we can. And so that foolishness right there is what brings people to repentance. Amen. It brings them to where God wants them to be. Amen. Our message is a foreign message because it's a message of love. With a foreign power delivering it. That is the conviction of the Holy Spirit. In Luke chapter 4, if you'll turn there. Luke chapter 4. This is where Jesus was anointed to preach. Now, there are many, many ways of verifying the anointing on your life. Uh, but I can tell you one thing, to, to that the anointing will bring the results that you see here of God. That's how you know you're anointed. You're not anointed because somebody tells you you are. Or because you sing we are anointed after you hear a good sermon and it falls on you. But uh, this this ain't cheap, baby. You know what I'm saying? This don't come with a song and a um, hoop-de-doo. It, it comes through, amen, it comes through relationship with God. If you look at what Jesus did 
prior to what he delivered um, in verse 18 in, in chapter 4, uh, Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil, and then he was anointed after he passed the test. So there has to be some kind of confrontation between you and the prince of this world and his forces for you to overcome before you'll receive the anointing. The Bible says that we uh, we um, don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers, and also that the weapons of our warfare are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. And that, it's not, a stronghold is not something outside up in the sky. A stronghold is in your mind. Why? Because it, it, the instructions it follows up on us is casting down imaginations. And that's what Jesus did. And then it says, being ready then to avenge all disobedience once your obedience is fulfilled. So there's an obedience we have to fulfill. You just can't get saved and go out and start uh, operating for God full force. There has to be some challenge against your Christianity, against the word, against something that you are willing to defend and defend successfully. Amen. Then the anointing's placed on your life. Amen. And so we, you, you have to, you have to pass a test to get anything from God. I mean, if you have to do it for school, my goodness, why wouldn't you have to do it for God? It's just not given to you. You have to make a stand. You have to be willing to defend His Word. You have to be willing to stand for what He wants and, and stand. If you just cave in all the time, God can't do much with you. He says that people who are lukewarm make me want to throw up. Amen. And so is we just have to make sure we, we are in good stead with the Lord and not fooling ourselves uh, in this. So when Jesus was returned uh, from the from the wilderness, verse 14, he returned in the power of the spirit to Galilee. Amen. <clears throat> when when. In verse 1, he was full of the Holy Ghost, spirit-filled. Just like us when we pray in tongue. Isn't that what we call spirit-filled? So you can be spirit-filled but not anointed. See, we assume too much. Because if you're anointed, you get certain results. Now listen, this ain't no bibbity bobbity boo here. You let's get real here. When you're anointed, you have the results of the anointing that he describes here. So he says he returned, verse 14, in the power of the Spirit. One, he was filled. Fourteen, returned in the power. How'd he get that power? He had to duke it out with the devil. The devil offered him all kinds of things, and he resisted successfully. Resistors get the power. Compromisers don't get anything. That's why all these preachers on TV with their lukewarm messages, you never see anybody come up for prayer. You never see any, barely anybody gets saved. We, we have what we call mental TV conversions now. 
You see somebody on television, they live in your city, you got to go there because everybody goes there. And that's it. Okay, so it's it's a crazy old tradition. It says, <clears throat> he returned in the power of the Spirit unto Galilee, and there went out a fame. Now, when you have the power of the Holy Ghost, you're famous. Huh? Uh, powerful people are famous people. If no place else but in hell, you're famous. You got me? That's the fame I'm talking about. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified of all. Huh? And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. He just did his regular routine and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do several things. He, You're not anointed to have houses and cars. There's no such thing as that. You're anointed to preach the gospel to the poor, those who need it. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering of salvation. This is a mercy and compassion anointing. Recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He closed the book and gave it to the minister and sat down, and the eyes of everybody were fastened on him. Why? Because his message was not of this world. He didn't have the same stuff the Pharisees and the Sadducees would have. Just reading some dead words off of a scroll and taking an offering. I said, reading some dead words and taking an offering. All the eyes were fastened on him. Why? Because there was power on his word. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. So that's when he was anointed, folks. Not when he got dunked in the Jordan huh? and the Holy Ghost. He was full of the Holy Ghost at that time. But that commitment to his message and the commitment to heaven had to be proven in the wilderness. Fasting. I've heard more than one preacher say, if you want more power, do what Jesus did. Fast and pray. And resist the devil and stay there as long as you need from God to get it. Amen. That will help you. There may be other ways God will have you to do that. Now, I've done it many different ways. Sometimes I just ask for power and get in the word more. You understand what I'm saying? There are different ways 
to improve the anointing so that you can do more work for God. I'm always looking to be able to help more people. If I see people who go leave the meeting, the healing meeting with, with symptoms relieved and not totally healed, I want them totally well. You got me? So I go back to God for more. We have to keep doing that in order. Don't be just satisfied uh, on your level with, with, you know, something. And so, so you have to find out from God how to, how you need to structure your life so that that impartation of the greater can come into it. But this is actually when Jesus was, was anointed and you can see a pattern. He was led by the Holy Spirit to receive the anointing. You can't lead yourself to receive it. You have to be led of the Spirit. Now, what does that mean? That means that you must have a commitment to God. You must read your word every day. You must seek God. God, I want to do something for you. I want to be used by you. I want to help people. I want to... When that starts to pour out of you, then trust me, the anointing ain't far behind. You got me? Because you'll start to... He'll put you in situations then where you will just feel led to pray for people. And to your shock, your prayer works. Amen? Amen. To to your great shock, <laughs> you lay hands on people and they do get healed. Now, you can have power without the ability to affect the cure in people. Now, I've seen that before. There are people that can can lay hands on people and they fall under the power, but they don't have many healings under their belt. You got me? Uh, why is that? They need to check that out with God. God, I want people to be healed. See, what we do sometimes is we get satisfied with the drama, the fall and drop. We get excited about that. And that is a sign of the power of the Holy Spirit. But you got to make it do something to help people. They just can't be dropping and then get up sick again. So you must stay in the what I call in the harness until you get everything. Because your flesh is excited about the things of God just like everybody else's flesh is. You understand what I'm saying? And you got to stay in there until you get the whole thing and you understand what you've got. And where to use it. You got me? You have to do this. You have to have a discipline about you so that so that you can be accountable to God. He's already foreordained everything that you're going to do under his power. And so you've got to fall in line with that. So we have a discipline and a system that's not of this world. Amen. Uh, you know, if you if you take it like a normal occupation, if if I'm a hairdresser, I can go anywhere if I have a license to operate in that state. I can operate anywhere I want to as long as I have a license to operate. Well, the anointing ain't like that. I've seen people who are are highly anointed around certain groups of people, and they get in someplace else, and it's gone. See, these are things you learn about it if you seek to learn. If you're not just caught up in what you think it's about, you've got to you've got to seek to learn these things. I remember a, a, 
a wonderful woman of God that we spent a lot of time with when we were early in our ministry. And I just couldn't understand why. She she had a prayer ministry. She was in a building. She was over at Indian Hills in Cleveland. She had a prayer ministry in that building. she get answers to prayer. she get people's kids out of jail, all that kind of stuff. And she went and, and got involved in the church and tried to work with the youth and destroyed everything. It, this is not our power. It's imputed to us. So we have to go where the power is supposed to be released, not where you think it needs to be. Christians get in more trouble going where they think there's a need. There's a need everywhere. Trust me. But if we didn't stay in our specific calling, our specific zone, our specific lane, we wouldn't be able to do and accomplish everything as a body. You'd be the head of the church instead of Jesus being in charge. And so we have to stay with that. The anointing is just that discreet and specific. You can walk in it in in your zone where you where you're familiar, but you jump out of the wrong territory and see if it won't backfire on you so you have to learn these things just stay stay where god called you stay where your you know where your zone is stay where you you know you're supposed to be where you have that peace that you're supposed to be there stay there and don't uh don't don't get into a, a struggle over that kind of stuff amen so <clears throat> we need to know that um our message not being of this world is fought by the forces of this world. And you will have persecution. You will have condemnation. Every political force that desired more power saw the church as a problem. Before it was the Christian, it was the Jew. So every government, every power that wanted more power saw the church as their biggest problem. Now, they try to make nice with us, try to, you know, go along with things, yada, 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 yada. But when people are seeking power, their biggest opposition is always the church. It's not another government. It's not somebody's big army. It's not anything like that. It's always the church. Why? They don't want people around who represent a government they cannot control. Amen. So they cannot control God. And so they will seek to undermine his people. They will seek to kill off his people. They will seek to persecute his people. And so as Christians, we have to understand that this is what we are up against. Amen. And so in order to protect the gospel and God's word so that we can operate freely uh it's in this nation i'll talk about this country because that's what i can talk about um the first thing the writers of the constitution worked into the constitution specifically the the amendments are not really amending or adding to they're really specifying and spelling out what they initially had in mind so the first amendment being freedom of speech and that is so that the gospel can be freely preached. Amen. And then the second amendment comes to enforce it. (laughs) 
Amen. Amen. So you can firepower if you need to. I got a gospel and I can back it up. Amen. You want to draw? But it really is to back up your right to speak freely. The second one is, amen. It's no accident they come first and second when you talk about how this country was set up. This country really was set up in a response to the tyranny of governments in Europe. The the royal families and the dynasties there went on forever and ever and ever, and they controlled whatever they wanted to control. So that's spelled out in the preamble. You see it's in times like these when certain governments, blah, 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 blah. This is how we respond to that. So we are a response to a problem. This nation is founded as a response to a problem. Even uh, uh, rockers know that much. Uh, Bono, the, the rock musician, always said, he says, this is a unique country because America was founded on a concept just wasn't a group of people who got together he said it's a concept nation and that concept is all men are born and and endowed with a common creator we all have the same creator so no man is greater than another one amen and the creator put into us certain rights that cannot be separated from us. Amen. They're inalienable. So you can no more take the desire to live free and speak free and defend yourself and protect yourself from people than you can go to change God's mind about what he did. And so these are part and parcel of what humanity brings along with himself. And so God wants us to understand that we are a free people. Amen. The delivery of this message is made simple for everybody to do because it is by the foolishness of preaching. And it follows as a freedom of speech. And it is a God-given inalienable right to all men in all cultures throughout all ages. God's wisdom had it written into our Constitution. Other nations do not have this. We are unique in this respect. Amen. So in this earth, we are moving in a foreign power. It is a power that cannot be humanly controlled. Humans cannot control it. It also has a life that cannot be stopped once it's released. That's why all you got to do is open your mouth and God will fill it with words. Amen. Because it is even out of our control many times. Amen. You just stand up there and once that mouth gets open and you start blabbering around before you get finished, you've told them the whole story. Amen. And so that's what God is. And it's a foolish thing. It's something that uh, we make ourselves available to. But once it gets started, we can't control it. Amen. Uh, you oftentimes can't control what God has you say. You ever said something to somebody uh, just in talking, uh, you know, you thought just making conversation or casual or something like that. And then all of a sudden this force comes out of you and they look like you just slapped them or something. That's the Holy Ghost. He likes slapping people. Amen. Yeah. Because he is the power behind it. You can't force it to, you know, come on now. We, we know better than that. 
you know, sometimes, you know, uh, when, when the anointing was, was first on my life, I scared most of the people I talked to. And I know it. And, and I would tell God, I said, God, they think I'm mean. I want to be nice. And he said, these people don't need nice right now. He said, you got years with these people to be nice. Right now, they need to keep from backsliding, from killing each other in the church, cussing each other out. Amen. Yep. So don't worry about it. My sins are forgiven like yours are. Amen. That people say, oh, I just try. I don't like her. Shut up. <laughs> Amen. Amen. <laughs> so we are a threat to all world governments, all of them. That's why there are laws against Christians preaching and converting people in, in Islamic countries. They'll put you to death for that, put you in prison, all kinds of things. These forces, political forces, are nervous that we can contact somebody with more power than they have. And don't make any mistake about it. They know what's going on. And they're nervous about it. They can never stop prayer. Now, they might tell you can't preach in this, you can't pray in school, but they can't stop you talking to God. Amen? So instead of just trying to stop us full force, they'll chip away at our freedom. Amen? Our freedom to express ourselves and try to chip away in our security in God with threats. Threats to take things away from us that they feel the government has extended to us. When when churches get involved with finances from government, you know, tax exemption status or uh, um, government grants, so forth and so on, you better believe that God allowed you to get that or they're going to wrestle it from you at some point. Amen. Try to hold it up, keep it from coming in the way it's supposed to. Jesus said not to fear those who can kill your body only. Amen. God can do that or more, so fear him. Amen. Put your fear in the right spot. Political correctness in this nation and across the world, this is a global phenomenon, but political correctness, and that is that desire to speak only a certain way to be acceptable, There's an acceptable code of speech. It seeks to censure free speech. So it's anti-free speech. And especially the gospel. These politically correct people are not after anybody except the Christian. It's it's done to stop us. Because we're the only real threat to them. We have laws now that forbid counseling homosexuals to live a celibate life. We have to prepare cakes for some same-sex weddings or pay heavy damages. Amen. See, an apology is not sufficient in that situation, even though it is with the Me Too. Huh? You know, I sexually molested you in a jail. Sorry. I don't know what's wrong with me. And that's as far as it goes. So they let each other off light. But then they throw the book at us. Amen. Just because you don't want to participate 
and something that violates your conscience. You know, when the government doesn't care about your conscience anymore, they have stepped way over the line. And so, amen. And so we have to, to understand how important it is to stand fast in what we believe, hold the line in what we believe, and be wise and know what governments are after. And I mean people who, you know, uh, enact our laws. Look at all the laws that now that they don't obey. Like, you know, this mayor of what is, was San Diego, she she put out an alert to illegal immigrants that ICE was coming. You understand what I'm saying? And she's a paid government official there, but she has turned against her own government. So we have people in this nation who have long turned against our government. Amen. Look at what the upper echelons in the FBI have been doing. Amen. If you follow the stuff, I'm not talking about the mainstream fake news, but I'm talking about you get on the Internet and get good information about what's going on in these investigations and so forth and so on. If you listen to to the mainstream media, you think the president's going to go to jail tomorrow. You understand what I'm saying? But he ain't going nowhere. You understand what I'm saying? God put him there. God don't send people up there to get that far and then go to jail. Amen. And in a year, they haven't found anything. You know, flushed out poor Mike Flynn because he couldn't afford enough lawyers to fight it. So he just caved. You know, they have their ways of manipulating people into submission. And so we we have to really understand what's going on in the world and pray accordingly. Amen. Pray accordingly. I, I was reading that book. If anybody's read the book, uh, The Intercessor, about Reese Howells, the man who was uh, um, he had a school of the prophets during the Second World War, and the the school was shut down and they would disappear at different times for prayer. Just nothing but prayer. And, uh, um, and, and it seemed like every time there was a major Allied victory coincided with one of their seasons of prayer that they had to go into. The uh, Allies and the Axis powers were this close, neck and neck, developing the atomic bomb. Allies won out by, I would say, about three weeks. If it hadn't been for prayer... It would be a different story. Amen. So so you need to understand that there are, are times where God wants to release people to do these things. And we must get involved in government on God's level. Amen. Not your traditional DNR level, but on God's level. You know, you're not committed one way or the other, but to God. And find out what God wants you to do uh, with with your uh, authority and your time. So political correctness seeks to censure free speech. And it's going after the gospel. Make no mistake about it. Because the first thing they do is if you, the first question they want to ask a TV preacher is what do you think about homosexuality? And they have discredited most of the ones that they ask. And what that does is that sends the church a message that you better line up because look at what your leader said and look at what this guy said. And then that puts the rest of the church in fear 
that if we do speak out and if we do speak up, we're the only ones out here with that message doing the right thing. And see, we have to get over that nonsense and understand what the enemy is doing to deceive us into thinking he's got more power than he actually does. Amen. Because our power rests in God. And when God says, who's on my side, you better quick in a hurry jump over that line and get where you belong. Amen. So <clears throat> we are, are mandated then by God to take a stand in everything. I mean, in all things. In all things. Um, there's a commitment that Christians need to make to the purity of God's word and the purity of the gospel. When God says who is not against us is on our side. You got me? There are sides that are taken in all wars. You have to find out where God's side is in everything that you do. It doesn't matter whose government, what government, who's in charge and how you like them. And, and you've always voted this way and you're going to keep going there and all this kind of stuff. You've got to get in there and discernment and find out what's really going on and find out where God's side is. What does God say about this? Where would God draw the line? Amen. And so for some people, it's not hard. You know, it really isn't. Uh, for one thing, God is the author of life. And if you have a government that says it's okay to take life, then you've got to, especially innocent life. Now, I'm not talking about the death penalty where you know people shot up everybody and killed up everybody. That's not innocent. They're not shedding innocent blood. But we're talking about the shedding of innocent blood that is being shed for satanic purposes that most Christians aren't even aware how the devil gets his power and why he must do this and so forth and so on. I remember uh, there was a, a movie. Um, uh, uh, the little girl that got pregnant gave it, Juno. Remember that movie? It was a few years back. And I thought probably the most powerful scene in that movie, and I don't even know if they, they planned it this way, but she was going to an abortion clinic. She had decided to abort that baby. And she ran into a classmate of hers. A little Asian girl was out by herself with a little protest and recognized her. And this is where we have to be careful as believers that familiarity can cause your message to slip so that you slip into your soul and you start treating that person like a friend instead of like a person that needs your help. That's why you're there. You got me? And she, they looked at each other and the girl stiffened up and recognized that this girl was on her way inside to the abortion clinic. And she spoke to her and she talked to her. Your baby has a heartbeat. She said, did you know your baby has fingerprints? And when she said that, the girl stood straight up and something inside her changed and was rearranged. And she decided to keep that baby and gave that baby to a couple that wanted children and could not have them. And so that's what we're up against. Do you stay on program, stay on message, or do you compromise depending upon the situation? Do you back down 
from your stance and from your position based on what you think political correctness says or what they're going to think about uh, what you say or what uh, they think about uh, who you support or whatever. You know, you, you have to understand that there is a side that God is on. I don't care what kind of political race it is and who's running for what and who's standing in what office. There is a position of God where he wants his people to get involved so he can make good change in the earth. He can make necessary change in this earth. Um, uh, there's a, a law, people, in speaking of political political um, uh, positions, uh, there is a law called O'Sullivan's Law. Well, if, you know, some people probably have heard of, of it or not. But the gentleman by the name of John O'Sullivan is a, he's a, he's a British uh, political thinker. You know, people study politics throughout the ages and so forth. And, and he developed a law and he says, any person or organization that is not actively conservative every day will fall to liberal thinking by default. And it so reminds me of Christianity, that if we don't stay with the gospel every day, eventually you will fall to being lukewarm, compromising, fearful of saying things uh, for the against the powers that be. If you don't take a stand on a daily, regular basis for God, God, I'm reading your word. I'm hiding it in my heart so I won't sin against you. That's how, how Christians fall. That's why we got empty chairs in here. And people always fall away because they get offended by something. And I'm not talking about between people. I'm talking about they're offended at God and what he demands of them. And we don't think we're getting what we're supposed to get from God. Amen. They want to pray very little and get very much. And you know what? Christian television set them up for that. Yeah, I'm talking about it again. I've told, told, told our people years ago, y'all watch too much Christian television. Huh? Watch Gunsmoke or something. I don't care what you watch, but don't sit up there and fill your head with that nonsense. Huh? Or Green Acres. Oliver! Uh, I'm going to Hoostersville. Oliver! That little dog of hers. I'd rather watch them than to watch these people pumping your head full of religious crazy doctrine. You know, and you know that stuff ain't right. Because you've been a Christian long enough and been faithful, it ain't never worked for you. How they gonna make it work all of a sudden in your life? So, so we have to discipline ourselves to stay with the message or we'll fall to compromise we'll fall to liberality we'll fall to to allowing people to do what they want to do and still call themselves christians huh start maligning your pastor and your leader and you sit up and listen to it huh Makes me want to take my wand and bibbity bobbity boo. <laughs> Knock some sense into people. You know, some people are too 
they get too much rebellion in them still. You know what I'm saying? They don't, they don't know how to get loyal and stay loyal and just walk the chalk line no matter what it costs. Huh? So our gospel is, is, it's delivered, the message is delivered in a foolish manner. We covered that. It is a foreign message with a foreign power delivering it. The Holy Spirit can't control it. Number three, it pierces the hearts and causes men to feel judged until they accept it. Uh-huh. Pierces hearts. Turn to Acts chapter 2. That's why people run away from you as a Christian. Amen. <laughs> this is Peter preaching. He preaches from, from verse 14 down to verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Amen? And so here you see some men pricked to their hearts and converting and falling on their face before God. In Luke chapter 4, we see the preaching of Jesus, 429. Says, <clears throat> start in verse. Oh, this is where we left off. This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Is verse twenty-one. All that bear him witness and wondered, and all bore him witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said to them, You will surely say unto me this proverb: Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do that also here in your country. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens shut up for three years and six months, when great famine was all in the land. But he was only sent to only one widow of Sarepta, a city in Sidon. And this woman was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha, the prophet. None of them was cleansed, save except for Naaman the Syrian. And they all in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with anger. How is it he's telling them a familiar Bible story? Now, these are men of letters, skilled in the law of Moses. Jesus reads them something that should be very familiar to them, but it makes them angry this time. Why is that? Because of what he talked about in verse 18, the anointing. I am anointed. They all had the scriptures. They all were familiar with them. But none of them could deliver it like he could. See, that's the difference between you and somebody that's just casually talking to somebody about the Bible. Amen? It's the anointing. Huh? It's the anointing. I remember when my dad was um, 
Well, he didn't pass away at that time. We just refused to let him die in the hospital. He hated the hospital so much. You know what I'm saying? But he was getting sicker, and I, I had gone by to see him. I just felt an urge to go see him. And sometimes I would, Daddy didn't like to be babied. You know what I'm saying? And um, I knew that, and I could tell through prayer what to do for him. When you're a minister, you have two roles. If you're a family member, you're either, you know, the daughter, the mom, the uncle, the parent or whatever, or then you're the minister. you got to know which one you are from day to day. And just, well, how do I go? Am I the daughter? Am I the minister? Am I the daughter? Daughter, minister, daughter. You know what I'm saying? Somebody slap me and get me in my right spot. And so uh, I just decided to go. I felt to go. I knew who I was when I got there. And so I was just trying to be the daughter, and he didn't recognize me. He said, hey, how you doing? I said, Daddy, don't come at me like that. I'm your child. Don't start that. And he was so out of it, I kept thinking, what am I here for? So I hear on the other side of the curtain somebody quoting scripture. Show you how slick the devil is. There was a man in that bed, and I just saw him briefly after this encounter was over. But he was very sick. And there were two people sitting. Now, one was sitting across from me. I could see him. You know, when the curtain's drawn, you can only see who's in that chair near the wall. Right across from me, there was a gentleman there. There was a young woman. I could hear her voice, but I couldn't see her. She was closer to his bed. And she was telling him, he was saying, I just, he said, I want to be saved. I, I, I don't know about all this you're telling me about. He said, uh, he, he kept saying, he said, that, you know, I'm very sick. And I, I, in, in repenting, I haven't, she said, well, listen, I can tell you, I've been in this all my life. And she's quoting scripture to him with no anointing. And I said, you little devil. So I just bound everything Shut her up, Lord. Uh, my voice is bigger than hers. And so I spoke up. And I said, if you want salvation, I said, do you know Jesus? I said, you've heard about Jesus, haven't you? He said, yeah, but I, I'm not saved. I said, yes, you are. I said, because everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And the anointing came in and hit that place. She shut up. He shut up. And he started crying. And I said, I said, those tears, I said, those are tears of repentance. I said, men don't cry. I said, you've been sick in this bed for a long time, but you probably haven't cried. He said, I haven't, ma'am. He said, I don't know who you are. I said, but you are saved. I said, you are calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. Now, listen, you may not have time for no Roman road, pulling out a Bible, giving them a tract. You just got to go with the flow. You understand what I'm saying? And I said, do you mind if I shake your hand? And I stuck my, I didn't wait for an answer. I stuck my hand through the curtain. I just pulled it back a little bit. And he was covered with bloody bandages, tubes everywhere. I was shocked he could even talk. Amen. And I said, welcome to the family of God. Amen. Sometimes you just got to cut to the quick. Now, see, the wisdom of God will tell you how to proceed in things like that, you know. And I, we looked for him because Sheree worked over there, and we gave her some things to take to him, and that room was empty. 
And I don't know if he passed away or what happened. And she couldn't even figure out who was in the room that day. You got me? And so here you got his buddies from his life getting ready to take him to hell that very day, except for God. You got me? Except for God. So you got to know what you're there to do. And when I left, my daddy still didn't know who I was. So so much for that visit. I said, well, we'll visit another day. But but you got to know who you are, what you're there for, and do only what God leads you to do. Amen. Do what he requires you to do. So men will be pierced in their heart and causes them to feel judgment until they accept The Pharisees and Sadducees thought they ran everything. Verse 28, all they in the synagogue when they heard these things were filled with anger. Everybody. How would you like to have the whole church against you? Right. It's happened to me. So don't sit there and act like you all rosy and everything. And they rose up and threw him out of the city, led him into a brow of a hill, and they were going to throw him over. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. It was not his time. Amen? So many of us survived to preach another day because it's not our time. Amen? It's just not your time. Amen? The preaching of this gospel will cause you to lose friends, fellowship, sometimes finances, and fun. Amen? In John 6, you see an example of Jesus preaching about the body and the blood of Christ. And this should have been familiar to them because they were covenant people. They knew about blood, a blood covenant and blood sacrifice. Amen. In John 6, it's toward the end of the chapter when we try verse 60. 53, Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whosoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwells in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, And I live by the Father, so he that eats me, even shall he live by me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. So he is telling them the ways to eternal life. Verse 59, these things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up to where he was before, and it is the spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothing. So he's talking about spiritual things here. These are analogies to spiritual truths. And he says, the words I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. That's why people hate you. You're speaking spirit and life stuff. But there are some of you that don't believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore, I say to you that no man can come unto me except to be given to him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So the more you walk with God, the more your crowd thins. Amen. You're going to be walking alone in some things. You know, be like Elijah. I'm the only one here. Jesus said, I got a lot of people around Elijah. Don't play me. Amen. And so these these analogies, spiritual analogies, complex issues and complex concepts will cause people to turn away from Christ. Amen. But the ones who are faithful, the ones that the Father has called to be there, will still be there. Just make sure you're one of those people. Amen. <clears throat> the preaching of the gospel will also cause you to gain more friends, family, fellowship, finances, and fun than you ever lose. In Luke 17, you see that. Now, you know God is not going to let the devil pay you more than he would. He'd never have any people around to serve him. Come on now. So he says... <clears throat> Uh, Luke 17, I think it was 30. It says in verse 31, in that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, don't let him come down and take it away. In other words, when I call you, come. Don't be going away packing nothing up and you got to take this and take that. Just come as you are. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife, the lesbian. Remember her? Right. She liked all that stuff. Whosoever shall, everybody's holding their breath. Whosoever shall seek. Well, I didn't know that about Lot's wife. You sure? What do you think she was staying or what she looked back for? Huh? Good times, good times. When you leave in good times and Jesus calls you, keep looking straight ahead. Remember Lot's wife, the lesbian. I wonder what people online are thinking. She lost her mind. <laughs> yes, she was gay. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it. Whosoever shall lose his life shall find it. So you're you're a loser one way or the other. As far as your old life is concerned, it just ain't going to work for you no more. So you might as well keep going forward. huh? Whoever is in that old life that God ordains for you, they'll be coming along pretty soon. huh? He will. <laughs> and so Jesus says, you, you'll gain more than you lose. You're going to lose some folk, but you'll gain more than you lose. I can tell you this, even though the numbers of your, your Christian friends and, and uh, coworkers may be small, the life that you share makes you a rich person. You can share much more with a believer than you can with an unbeliever. Amen. <clears throat> The other thing that this this uh, message that we have causes a murderous wrath in the hearts of those who do not believe. In other words, they do want to kill you. And Matthew 10, 
we saw an example not too long ago, but we'll go to Matthew chapter 10 and verse, I think it's 34. Think not that I've come to send peace on the earth. I've come, to, I'm not come to send peace, but a sword. I've come to set at variance men against his father, a daughter against her mother, and so forth and so on. A man's enemy shall be they of his own household. Amen. He that loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. In other words, don't compromise on your message. Expect your children to walk with God just like you expect you to walk with God. You can't bend the standards. Same thing with a spouse. Oh, He's just so fine. He got so much money. Listen, take that money. <laughs> no, that's what you, but you know what I'm saying. We can be manipulated in our heads. We think we're going to lose something. Huh? Amen. Amen. Good. <laughs> Praise God. No, he was awake. I always get my confirmations from Poppy. Yeah, that's right. Amen. But just because they, they turn your head and you all in love and everything, you gotta make that standard. Amen. Amen. So, you know, you got power in you that God wants to use and that power will be used to convert them at some point. Amen. They will, you will be that plumb line, that stable person that they always know that they can come to because they'll have questions about the things of God. Amen. And you'll be the one who's able to fill that in, but you won't if you continually compromise. And so it's, it'll be hot for a while and, and people won't believe and they'll act out, out of their ignorance. But God will convert people and turn people around because that's what he's, he's called you to household salvation. Amen. Everybody in your whole house will be saved. Amen. I'm always amazed at, at how quickly God will do some things, you know. And, and I know part of what he did when I first got started was because I needed help with this ministry. And and my sister Shirley and her kids were already in the Baptist church, and then they got spirit-filled. You understand what I'm saying? And so they made a deeper commitment to the Lord at the time when it was necessary. Amen? My husband was the tester. Amen? You know, you have some people that God will, will work his, uh, his power into you, sometimes through conflict. And so he had promised that he wasn't going to, you know, one go, I'll never believe like you do. I said, well, never's a long time, buddy. What could you say? You know, never. What's up with that? And, you know, I get nervous about it. And then the, the Lord would say, well, what do you expect the devil to tell him to say? Amen. He wants you to back up off of him so he can take him to hell. You understand what I'm saying? And so we have to understand the dynamics of this this message that we carry. Don't get involved in a political thing that drags you off of God's position and, and weakens your stance and weakens your stand. Because I see the church making some mistakes where that's concerned. You know, I'm shocked at some of the things. I thought these people were nice Christians. When it comes to that name Trump, you can see some of the most ungodly things come out of their mouths, you know, and you they repeat them. You know, I've had to delete a lot of Facebook people 
uh, because I don't want somebody yelling profanity and, and all that kind of stuff when I know that's not true. You understand what I'm saying? You don't have to go there and like the world does to make your point. You know, if you don't care for somebody, don't care for them. But God is calling people to lose themselves, lose your life so that you can find God. And that's really the only way you're going to find him. you got to lose who you are. All your likes, your dislikes, your this, your that, all of that stuff. This country is in such bad condition. If we don't do something, it's like every time a, a new minority comes up, they replace another minority. You understand what I'm saying? They cultivate minority groups so they can stay in power. And so you got to wake up to stuff, folks. I used to didn't troll what they call troll the Internet, but I learned, I said, Lord, there's something going on here. I don't have a full picture on. And so I need you to show me because when God calls me to account for what I did with my life as a minister and as a watchman, what am I going to tell him? You know, oh, I, I always vote this way and I didn't want to violate my little whatever. You got to you got to stop that. You've got to grow up in God and start understanding that there's a whole lot more going on here than meets the eye. Amen. And quit being mad at people when they try to enlighten you. You know, you, you got to pray about things. You can't just get in your flesh and if somebody say something, you, you know, all that stuff. You know, that's a devil right there. You've been indoctrinated more than you know. Amen. You have. There is a there is a spirit that was sent out through all this witchcraft and baby killing we do in this nation. This spirit has a very hateful edge to it. And and the Bible says when the devil knows his time is short, he has great wrath. And that wrath has been poured out on people. You got me? And they operate in it and they embrace it. They don't know why they're as angry as they are, but they are. And so you got to resist that thing. You can't let that thing start growing up in you. And you start hating what God loves. Amen. So we're going to stop there, Father. We thank you for your word and for understanding. Thank you, Lord, that we still are people who love. And we obey your gospel. The gospel of hate will never win. We thank you, Lord. Martin Luther King even said that. He'd rather choose love. Because hate will destroy the people who hate. And so, Lord, we thank you that your church will be known by its love. Once again, we honor you and we love you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, come on up. I'll pray for you. And we'll have lunch.